Hey, it's Alice. Before you jump into this episode, I want to tell you about this week's partner. One of the biggest mistakes we can make when it comes to marketing is not analyzing the metrics. Podcast downloads, website traffic, social engagement, these numbers can tell us something about what is and isn't working, but we so rarely listen to them. That's why this year I've made a habit of sitting down each month to analyze and learn from my metrics. It's already helping me to tweak my strategy in order to meet my goals. And I've found a really great tool to help with this, Metrical. Metrical makes it easy to analyze, manage, and improve your content across all of your platforms. My favorite is their analytics tool because all of the numbers are right in front of you to look at and most importantly, learn from. They also have a content planner, inbox manager, and hashtag tracker. So Metrical really can be your one-stop shop for all your marketing needs. I only partner with brands who I genuinely believe will bring value to our lives as business owners, and this one is no different. So if you're ready to manage your marketing with intention, head to the link in the show notes and start using Metrical for free today. Now back to the episode. The industry was quite a technical industry. So I was very often the only female speaker. So I started giving free presentation training to women to help level the playing field. It was never like one day I woke up and it was like, I'm going to teach confidence. It just grew really organically. If I ask people, are you a confident person? Most of us say no, but it also kind of saddens me when I see feminists arguing about how to do feminism right. If we're doing things we give a shit about, yes, there is gonna be some fear. We evolve to like go, if I sit very still and stay very small, I won't get eaten. Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to episode number 187 of Starting the Conversation. I'm your host, Alice Benham, and today I'm really excited to be sharing with you a conversation I had with the brilliant Kirsty Hulse, who is a confidence and motivation expert. Kirsty is one of my favorite people to follow online. She's honest, she's funny, she's inspiring, and I'm pleased to say she is all of those things and more in person. Since deciding to bring back these guest episodes, Kirsty has been on my list from day one one because I just knew a conversation with her wouldn't just leave me but also you as the listeners feeling really inspired and really encouraged and having recorded this episode I can report it did not disappoint. We spoke about what confidence is and how we can all be a bit more confident in our work, why fear isn't a reason to stop and it's a myth that we're ever going to feel quote unquote ready, how we can all be better at presenting and public speaking and honestly so many tangents, topics and little tips in between that I know you're going to find valuable. You'll hear a lot of laughs within this episode. It was such a fun recording. So I really hope you enjoy tuning into it as much as I enjoyed recording it. Without further ado, this is my conversation with Kirsty Hulse. Hi, Kirsty. Hi, Alice. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I feel like I was being interviewed then. <laughs> we can do it that way. That's how the want. tables have turned. <laughs> how are you doing? I'm really good. How are you? I'm all right. A little bit drowned from the rain, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also got very caught in the rain on the way here. And I was a little grumpy about it when I arrived. Happens to the best of us. (laughs) I was like, I did my hair for this. (laughs) I had it the other week. I got caught in the rain walking to a meeting and I was like, do you know what? I'm going to buy myself an umbrella. Went into boots. £20. For a a handheld umbrella. It wasn't even one of the big ones that goes up automatically. Didn't even have a sheath on it. No sheath. No. Twenty pounds and no sheath. <laughs> Any self-respecting woman needs a sheath, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, if it was ten pounds without a sheath, I understand. But for twenty pounds, they knew. I bet you, when it rains, they hike those prices up. I was Life a lessons: no more than ten pounds if there isn't a sheath. <laughs> and that is the episode complete. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you. <laughs> 
Right, where do we begin? I mean, let's start with the broadest topic of them all, confidence. Mm. You are a confidence coach. Yes. Is that the correct label? I say trainer, because I tend to do bigger groups rather than one-on-one, but nice. semantics. Where did that love for or skill around mm. confidence first come from? The love for it happened really organically. So I was running a large marketing agency and we had quite a big team and I was speaking at lots of conferences and lots of events. And this was a few years ago and the industry was quite a technical industry. So I was very often the only female speaker. So I started in around 2016, giving free presentation training to women to help level the playing field. And as I was doing that, I was like, oh, this is my jam. And I guess it's because I went to stage school, which you can so tell, whenever I tell people that, they're like, ah, yes. (laughs) Got it. Everything makes sense. Yes, but I've also got four older brothers which really shapes, I think, the way I act and the way I behave. I've done stand-up for years. So I think my whole life I'd learned to be seen and be heard. That was so important in my childhood. Like if I didn't learn how to self-advocate, like my brothers would have just eaten my food. (laughs) Like they really would. (laughs) And then I think, so I think it was never like one day I woke up and it was like, I'm gonna teach confidence. It just grew really organically. And so I started doing it for free for women and then businesses started paying me for it and it just kind of snowballed really into the really wonderful business that it is today. I love that it was a, it was more of a need than a want, harnessing yes. that skill set. Because if you're not going to back yourself, you're not going to eat. And I mean, <laughs> is there a more primal need in life than yeah. food? And I have like really visceral memories of like being five years old, my oldest brother, who at that time will have been 16, 17. And he would like take the food off my plate and he'd be like, ask for it. <laughs> Just like boy, just like old, horrible older brother stuff. But I, of course, that had an impact, I think. So I entered the world of work and I was comfortable-ish. You know, I experience anxiety and have lots of self-doubt. So this definitely isn't, I'm not unwaveringly confident all the time, but I certainly learned from a young age how to and the importance of having a voice. Mm. And you said in there about that kind of unwavering confidence. I Mm. think before I stepped into the business space and kind of heard a lot of conversations around confidence that was definitely how I saw it is like confidence is a destination it's like a perfect thing that I must achieve how do you view confidence like if you were to give it a definition what actually is it so my definition of confidence is confidence is just you being a bit more you I love that that feels so much easier instantly I'm like (laughs) I can probably be a bit more confident and what you said about this like that's what we perceive confidence to be this like firm unwaveringness that's pretty much the dictionary definition of confidence if you look it up it does say certainty no doubt unwavering and like I can't even order Chinese food <laughs> like without being unwavering but the way we use language like impacts how we see things so I think because we've been given this word with a bit of a shitty definition yeah. we've internalized that we're all failing at the thing because it's impossible So my definition of confidence is it's just giving ourselves permission to access a feeling that we already have in a wider range of scenarios. I love that. Mm. Like I said, immediately feels more accessible. Yeah. And also more of a kind of 
skill set to build a muscle to build rather than something that you have yes and it's easy to look at other people isn't it and be like oh they're confident and I'm not yes and immediately that identity identity piece is going to hold you back isn't it by saying that's not something that I can access mm-hmm. whereas if you see it just as a a more you version of you yeah see it as more of a spectrum is that right totally and it's really interesting like if I ask people are you a confident person? Most of us say no. And I've got lots of data on this. Like the majority of us will say no or we'll go, oh, sometimes maybe. And if you say to people, have you ever felt the feeling of confidence? All of us say yes, because it's circumstantial. It goes up, it goes down. It's an ever evolving thing. And so for me, confidence isn't a fixed trait it's not about becoming a confident person it's simply about understanding what confidence looks and feels like for you as an individual and having tools to access that feeling in as many situations as possible and we all manifest confidence differently you know so for some people confidence is quite calm and grounded it isn't for me I don't think it is for you either like no it's a bit more like da, 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 da. Yeah. that's like our confidence whereas for some people confidence is formal for others it's playful like there's loads of different expressions all confidences is just like how we express ourselves and also I also think about confidence as the space that's left when all of the other stuff falls away you know confidence is just when we allow ourselves to take a deep breath and expand a little confidence is just what's left when we do that but I definitely resonate with what you said there of I think we are that same style of confidence where like for me I'm way more confident in front of two cameras with professional lights on me than I am sat in front of my phone. It's not that I don't feel confident in front of my phone, but for me, that kind of performing mm. actually for me feels like a confidence thing. Like, I don't know if you find this, if I'm doing a talk and I, I can get a laugh out of someone, yeah. I'll just keep trying to get that person to laugh. Yes, but yeah. it's toxic to the point where like, I'm meant to be talking about like marketing strategy and I'm just <laughs> trying to make it funny so that one person on the Zoom call like, yeah. gives me a little bit of a smirk. This sounds like me and my therapist just constantly (laughs) trying to make her laugh. She's like, Cozy, this is not what this is about. I'm the opposite. So for me, put me on a stage and I feel like I will often say to people, you know how I imagine like someone who's really into yoga feels when they step on a mat? Yes. That's how I feel when I stand on a stage. Like that Mm -hmm. feeling of home. Yes. This doesn't feel like home to me. This is like, I'll do it, but it's a bit, whereas it sounds like this feels like home to you. Mm. And so I think there's all lots of like different ways we can do it. And so put me in a one-on-one situation. I get a bit more nervous. Networking, hate. Oh my gosh, me too. Hate it. I'm going to a networking event next week and I'm already so nervous. Mm. But it's so funny, isn't it? Because I think people's perception would be you're confident in this area, so you should be in others. Put me in a networking room. I honestly stand in the corner on my phone if you let me. (laughs) Like, I'll go hide in the toilets. That's fully my strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I actually think that's because... I get the sense that actual connection is important to you. Mm. And often networking events aren't spaces for genuine connection. So people often ask me how to like hate networking less. And I actually think it's about the way we have conversations with people rather than the event itself. But I created a list of questions you can ask people at networking events that will help facilitate like genuine, meaningful conversation. Yes, I can't do surface (laughs) level. And even saying no. that out loud, I kind of hate mm. hearing myself. I feel like one of those American gurus on a podcast who's like, <laughs> five minutes into my Uber drive, he's crying about the state of his marriage. And I'm like, <laughs> not quite to that extent. But like, no, yeah, when everyone's just kind of having that same chat, mm-hmm. I'm just a bit like, why am I here? Like, what, 
what is this about? But anyway, I can go on a total tangent and it feels like a therapy session for me at this point with, <laughs> with my issues. Um, you talked then about kind of asking people, like, do you feel confident? I'm interested. Do you notice a trend in how women answer that question mm. versus men? No. Really? Honestly, one of my biggest observations is women have internalized an idea that we don't do the confidence thing right. And it's not true. It's not true. It's actually just that women have been given a bad definition of confidence. And I think we've got to give up the idea that women are less confident than men. And there are constructs outside of us that get in the way. But what I know to be true is most of us worry we're a bit shit and race, gender, ethnicity, trauma, toxic bosses, toxic relationships, all influences to what degree. And so we have to meet everyone where we are as individuals. But it, at this point, because I've done this for so long and because my work was always led by women and we grow and we evolve and we change. And I think my data is so skewed. But at this point, my observation is a lot of the confidence issues that women experience stem from the idea that women have been told they're not very confident and it's just not true maybe we express ourselves differently but again there's always going to be divergence and difference within that and I honestly do not notice and observe a gender difference in my work and that's I think because my I'm working with people who've often self-selected as wanting to learn confidence but generally people don't say different things I find that fascinating but actually the more I think about it I can see how that makes sense mm. I often observe if I'm ever in an interview situation people will often ask like what was it like starting a business young and as a woman and I often yeah. think like the only times I find it a challenge or I think that it was a challenge is every time someone asks me <laughs> how was it so challenging yes I don't think I've ever really had an experience and gone oh that was challenging because I was young or because I was a woman mm -hmm. and I realize that's a privileged thing to say because I have privilege in other areas yes but yeah it's, it's that thing of like if we talk about the issue so much talking about it actually heightens the issue more than hmm. the issue has heightened itself yes. does that make any sense totally I mean we have an internalized idea of what confidence is and this internalized idea is often based on a hangover of toxic masculinity this idea that you can't express or be vulnerable and have emotions and that toxic masculinity serves nobody you know nobody was benefiting from that men women anyone no one was benefiting from that but because obviously we've got this definition, it is not women or the individual or anyone, it's not we are failing at confidence, it's the shit definition isn't serving us. And so for me, it really has, and this wasn't my perception on it a few years ago, but for me now it's really shape-shifted away from help women to be more confident to help every single person understand specifically how they want to express themselves and learn mechanisms to do that. Because I just really believe the more we create freedom and permission for every individual to feel as though they can be themselves in whatever context, that's where we'll thrive. Yeah, and the world gets so much better as a result when yeah. everyone's being the best selves. Yeah. Sounds like a Pinterest quote that a mum would put on a mouth, but <laughs> I'm here for it. And I also know, you know, and I'm, this is my primary job. I have a thriving business on this. And I know when companies, a lot of the work I do is with companies, when they say, can you come and train our team to be more confident? What they're kind of saying is, you, can you come and train our team to be more like how men used to be? It's kind of, I mm -hmm. think, what they're saying. Mm. And it's, this is nobody's fault. This is just 
shitty ideas that we were given by society and now we're just trying to all of us collectively I think doing really good work to try and just unravel it a little bit yeah have you read the book Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg I've never read it actually (gasps) should I read it I well I'll tell you my thoughts on it and I think you might want to read it from a kind of interest perspective because it's very much what you're talking about there where if people don't know Sheryl Sandberg is I think the COO at Facebook she's kind of the second down from Zuckerberg um And she wrote this book all about lean in, which is where she noticed, you know, there weren't many women at the table, women weren't putting their hands up, women weren't on stages. And she wrote this book around, hey, as women, we should lean in. And I have a kind of mixed take on the book. I think there's a lot of good stuff in it. It definitely inspired me in a lot of ways, but it's come under a lot of criticism because her, and this is my very kind of broad conclusion of the book, but what she basically talks about is how as women to get a seat at the table we need to be more like men Mm -hmm. and what she doesn't talk about is hey actually we should change the table rather than change women to fit that table they're in and her whole Mm. thing is like women you know men put their hand up more even when someone shouldn't be asked a a question you know men will apply to a job even when they don't fit the full scope and I think there's a lot in that that we can take from Mm. but yeah it's come under criticism because a lot of people challenge that she's wanting women to change to suit like you said what we see as confidence in a male context and that's really interesting because I also think that's not my perception but I'm really here for that idea because I think what's very important and we forget this in 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 feminism or working towards equality, whatever whatever we're trying to achieve, we can have the same goal and a very different strategy. And actually, maybe that would help. Mm. That that strategy of women lean in is one. It's not my strategy. My strategy is maybe let's change the table. Let's change how we, at a fundamental level, think about what this stuff is. Yeah. But it also kind of saddens me when I see feminists arguing about how to do feminism right. And it's just this idea of like squabbling at the bottom. And I actually think a nice example of, is maybe this girl boss thing, right? Not not something that resonates with me, never has, almost certainly never will. Who knows? I'm, who knows? <laughs> But I really, if if you're a woman and identifying as a girl boss works for you, then fan-fucking-tastic. Like, we we need a lot more space to go, here's the goal, this is what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. You do that, you do that, you do that. It's how you do it in a business, multiple different tactics. I'll definitely read Lean In, actually, and I, I can imagine that wouldn't be my mechanism to try and drive for equality. Mm-hmm. But it's helped lots of women. So yeah. we can all try our best and do it from come at things from different angles surely that's how we're going to do it that's my perception yeah that's so good and I think not something we hear talked about enough you know the online world it loves the hot take doesn't it you you know it thrives on controversy and actually as women if we're spending our time you know in any fight for change Mm. arguing about how we should be creating that change is only distracting our energy from actually going off and creating the change itself yeah and I think that's so good that you can see yeah I just don't think that's not something you see often as people acknowledging like like you said this is my way of tackling it but it doesn't invalidate all those other approaches yeah there is so much room for people to be what they want to be there is so much space for that and I actually saw a a debate happening on Twitter I mean my favorite thing about Twitter it's the best place for complex debate um but I (laughs) I saw this argument happening and there was a woman who who was changing her name and then someone else had gone, but I thought you were a feminist. And they were arguing about it. And I was like, 
this isn't it. This isn't it. It's actually just about accepting where we're at, doing what's right for us and meeting each other with so much compassion and empathy and understanding that we're going to come at things from different perspectives. And that's really fine. In fact, that's good. That's the best thing to do um, is my perception. I like that's that my perception. hot take. A hot take from Kelsey Hulse. <laughs> Heard it here first. Um, bit of a side note question. Mm. Is fear a bad thing? No, it's essential. It's 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 the fuel that it indicates to us we need some help or we need some support or we need to learn or we're excited about something. Like there's you kind of have these tears, right? So you have a bit of fear. Good, really good. And actually we want to be operating from that place sometimes. And for me now in my line of work, it's more interesting if I don't experience occasional discomfort. That's more interesting for me now because that's an indication that I'm perhaps not stretching myself. But we don't want to be chronically, consistently in fear. So it's about finding for us as individuals our own individual line like what is some healthy discomfort and a bit of healthy fear because I really truly believe it is and then when are we slipping into um, pain trauma panic Mm. and so I think fear is fear is never I don't believe fear is ever a stop sign it's more of a a kind of like what support do I need how can I break this down into smaller steps yeah it's almost a nudge to ask a question or just take a bit of a step back and think what might I need that helps me with this or is this just a sign that hey I'm doing something that is really exciting I'm doing something that is different and that just has a little bit of fear attached to it because I think it'd be easy to see you know the opposite of confidence is fear but actually do you see how the two come together yeah and people so my life motto is scared and ready like so much so I I have it like mine's scared and unready (laughs) I am neither mine does it even matter Uh, I think in in my line of work, I think there is sometimes an assumption that I am there to remove the scared and. And people will often say to me, like, an example, like, I'm so nervous about public speaking. And I'm always like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it, it is scary. We're not trying to get rid of how scary it is. That isn't the aim of the game. We're trying to figure out how we can best support ourselves to do something we might want to do. It's like feel the fear and do it anyway, but not quite that Pinteresty. Yeah. As a quote, of yes. like actually, as long as what you're wanting to do that feels a bit fearful, you know, the way I see, at least for me, fear is as long as I want the outcome more than I'm scared of the process of getting there, mm-hmm. it's always worth pushing through that fear Mm. and it's kind of a muscle isn't it where if you're in a cycle where every time you feel fear you don't step into your confidence and you don't do the thing your brain's gonna learn fear is a really bad thing so every time we feel fear we have to stop whereas if you have a motto in your life of I'm scared but I'm still gonna do it Mm. I guess you build that muscle of resilience where yeah I can feel fear and like you said it, it obviously can't be that debilitating fear but you can feel the fear and still be doing the things that might be instigating that feeling you mentioned people think of the opposite of confidence being fear one of the things that I think is a lack of fear is more akin to apathy than confidence like 
if we're doing things we give a shit about, if there's skin in the game, if it's new, if it's important to you, if it's self-advocating, sharing an idea, yes, there is going to be some fear because we did not evolve to move through the world being like, yes, queen. Like that isn't what we evolved to do. We evolved to like go, if I sit very still and stay very small, I won't get eaten and I will not die. Like, so we're kind of going against a lot of our genetic predispositions when we share ideas or stand up in front of people people or ask for a pay rise or a promotion. This isn't uh, evolutionary mechanisms. So for me, fear has to be and is just an essential part of my like daily diet of life. (laughs) And I think we also learn that we create the fear, right? Our bodies can hold it. And I often, a way to kind of express this in a way that I find super weird, but does resonate with people, is I think of like, let's use nerves for an example, because it's one of the most common expressions of fear. So let's say, for example, that you're really nervous about something. I think of this as like needing a big wee right? You need a big wee. And you know when you need a big wee and you're like, oh my God, I need a wee. I need a wee. And it's all you can think about. I need a wee. I need a wee. I need a wee. You get consumed about needing a wee and it feels really uncomfortable. And then it starts to hurt. And then maybe your hands start to shake and you start to panic because you don't know where the toilet is. And then you go for a wee and you have a big wee. And then you're like, nerves are the same. It's just passing physiological phenomena, but we don't suddenly start identifying as like wee needing people. Hi, my name's Alice and I need a wee. Yeah, I need a wee sometimes. So it's just the thing our body does. Mm. It's just the thing our body does sometimes. Because I think one of the worst things we can do is assume that the people that we look up to or admire don't feel fear. Because then you're immediately creating this impossible benchmark for yourself of, okay, when I, when I don't feel what you're saying is an incredibly natural feeling, then I'm going to do the thing. Then I'm going to start. And if you wait for the fear to pass, I mean, you're going to be waiting a while. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> Good luck with that. I do stand up, which I think people often think of being maybe one of the scariest kind of things. And so the question is always like, oh, how are you not terrified? I am. I am. And I have worked alongside some famous professional top of their game comics. Terrified. Absolutely terrified. And if you ask any performer or any athlete, do you get scared before you compete or gig or play? Everyone always says yes. It's only in the professional world that we've got this idea that fear is unwelcome or contains information about us not being good enough. And again, hangover from toxic masculinity wasn't serving anyone, but it's left us all with this slowly dying narrative that nerves, fear, anxiety are a marker that you're not yet ready. And it's just not true. It's a marker that you give a shit about the thing you're about to do. So true. Like you said, skin in the game. Skin in the game. It shows that you're excited about it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't really care about it, what are you doing it for in the first place? Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about fear? And I don't know of the right wording here, but I guess a good example to give earlier is when I said to the cameraman in here, sorry to be really annoying, but could you just do this thing that I do actually pay to have you the access to because I feel really scared (laughs) of being annoying and, and being too clear and being too direct you know I guess the things that come into mind here is when we write in an email like oh could you just do this Mm. or can we do that thing no worries if not Mm -hmm. like what do you notice is that a fear of because it's something I see talked about a lot online and I'd be interested as well on your take of like is that language we should Okay, so a couple of things. I think this is maybe a a fundamental, to answer your first question, maybe just like a fundamental fear of like being rejected and being socially excluded. And that is a deep-seated fear for us as humans. We evolved in packs, we evolved in groups. So we don't want to annoy people. We don't want to be disliked. We don't want to be rejected. Like we really 
on some level, I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous what I'm about to say, but on some level, when you said to that man earlier, I'm really sorry to be annoying, there was a part of you that was trying to protect yourself from death, like very literally, because we need to be accepted by those around us. It's how we survived. So first, it's so normal and so natural to move through the world going, oh, I hope these people like me. It is not a weakness to want to be liked. It is not a weakness to need reassurance and connection from our fellow human beings. It's like in their fundamental. And then I guess the second part of your question was, is this language we should use? Another thing is, one of the things I always say is, apologize for your mistakes. But don't apologize for your existence. And I think that's it. So if you've if you're late, if you've inconvenienced someone, yes, apologize. Yes, you can say, sorry, I'm late. Of course we can say that. But don't feel as though you have to apologize for sharing an idea or apologize for simply asking a request that maybe is expected. So I think as a broad rule, I still use the word sorry all the time. I think it's a valuable and important word that we need to use. But if I'm saying sorry, it's because I feel as though I have not done something in accordance with somebody's expectations. I will never say sorry if it's just something I feel that I'm entitled to be. That is such a good way of seeing it. Mm. And I think a take that I can really get on board with because I'm a, I love looking at things in extremes. I think it's why my whole wardrobe is black and white because I'm just <laughs> like, like, I'm all here, I'm all there. And again, there was like a bit of a therapist session talking about this the other day with my therapist about how I love ends of the spectrum. Um, and I find the conversation around like, like you said, kind of wanting to be liked and wanting to come across well often feels that way mm. where it's like, okay, well, the other option is, you know, you never say sorry. I saw this thing once that was like, if you've inconvenienced someone, don't say sorry that I did it. Say thank you that you were okay with it. Yeah. And I can get to an extent, I can understand it, but it's like me, you know, being 20 minutes late to our recording, mm -hmm. for an example, and going, oh, Kirsty, thank you so much for, for waiting for me. And it's like, I kind of get it. That's okay. But like you said, when you've actually done something that's gone against an expectation that you or someone else has had, sorry is valid, but you're right. It's not then taking that too far and apologizing for valid expectations or yes. things that are just you. Yeah, don't apologize for existing. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It was funny when we were en route here, we were both running a little bit late side note actually ended up being four minutes early so shout out to my uber driver he was <laughs> speeding around the streets um but i went to text you saying sorry i'm late and kirsty i agonized over that text for about 30 <laughs> seconds and that's what as a confidence trainer i'd want i'd want you to sit agonizing i did because i initially wrote so sorry think i'll be five minutes late and then i was like should i apologize for this do I look weak if I, and then I was like, no, I am sorry that I might be five minutes late. I would expect and like someone else to say that, so I'm gonna say it. But it was a real like process I went through. And anytime I'm meeting someone, whatever it is that they're an expert in, I'm like such an overthinker then about that topic. Cause I'm like, oh, well, you know, you're an expert on, but I guess that's even that wanting to be liked, isn't it? It's like, I want Kirsty to know that I am good at my confidence and good at not being, you know, scared of people not liking me. But yeah, well done. You got me into a, a spiral for 30 that's, seconds. That's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to achieve, yeah. <laughs> it was um, an interesting process. Uh, you were talking earlier about kind of feeling ready mm. to an extent. There was a story you shared on your Instagram grid months ago, which really stuck out to me. And it was from in 2016 when you pitched for a contract yes. with your agency that you hadn't actually started yet. Mm -hmm. Can you tell a little bit of that story? Because it stuck with me ever since as an example of what it looks like to be ready enough. Yes. So I, 
I never really had any grand ambitions to run a business. In fact, I never had any ambitions at all, really. I, I, I kind of grew up in an economically deprived town. Just my ambition was to get a job, I think. And so I did that, moved to London and, and at like 24, 25, I was like, cool, great. Mm-hmm. And then I was working in digital marketing and uh, a friend of mine worked at Virgin Atlantic, the airline. And he sent me a text saying, what we need a new agency, what agency should we use? And I replied and I was like, I actually don't think any of them are that great at the moment, but if you find like independence and let them work remotely and get them to collaborate, that, that, that would work, I think. And he was like, well, obviously we can't do that. But if you ever wanted to start that business, you could come and pitch. And in that moment, you know, when you look at a message and I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to do that now. <laughs> Damn it. I can <laughs> like, see where this is going. I remember looking at the message and I just, and in that moment, I was like, well, I kind of have to. And so I um, got invited to pitch for Virgin, the global contract for Virgin Atlantic. It was a big a big pitch. There was lots of other really established global brands, lots of agencies. And so I had no, there was no part of me that thought I was going to win that business. It was outrageous that I even tried because I didn't have a website. I didn't have a team. I didn't have, I had literally nothing. I didn't have a business. I hadn't, I hadn't had an incorporated business at that time. Nothing. All I had was an idea that if you allowed capable, creative adult humans to work remotely and treat them with respect and dignity, good work would happen. And so I went in and I pitched that idea mainly just to get the experience of what that would be like. Um, And before I went in, I was like, I was crying and freaking out because there was like big established global teams and then just me stood in the stairwell freaking out. And then I went in and I pitched and I won the contract and then then (laughs) it was then it was a ride just trying to get everything set up because Virgin Atlantic is a big business they have a very robust process to work with suppliers and they were emailing me like um, what's your data protection policy and what's your IT security policy and it was like the Gmail tab in my browser and so then I had to go through that whole process but actually in retrospect it was an incredible way to start a business because they were like here are all the things businesses need to work with big companies make sure you've got them all and so I just kind of went through but that was wild I was like crying every day I was like freaking out and of course I was freaking out it would have been frankly bizarre if I wasn't and so many of the best things come from those really organic Mm. opportunities don't they you rarely hear a business owner say oh I sat down one day because I wanted to start a business I brainstormed ideas I came up with a business I wrote a whole business plan and off I went usually there's something like the opportunity that you got that kind of kickstarts that process yeah I'm guessing you didn't feel ready no. I mean, not only did I not feel ready, I just objectively was not like mm. I, I wasn't like at no, I absolutely was not ready. But I got there and we managed to retain that account for years and we had a really good relationship with them. And and actually, and maybe a slight addendum to the story is three months in, they hired us on a three month trial. And I I was there. Virgin Atlantic is a very like spirited brand, right? So you got this young, 
funky thing coming in. And so it's kind of like within their brand to take a shot on someone. So I think that's why I won the pitch because it's kind of like the Virgin Atlantic is this like homegrown, do it differently. So I do think that's why I won it. Anyway, so three months in, we massively underdelivered because I was scrabbling about to get the team. We hadn't done an amazing job. And then I went in for a meeting with the people who were running it. And because I had nothing to lose, because I thought I'd already lost it, I was just like, here are all of the things we've done wrong. This is what I'm really sorry for. This is how we would fix them if there was the opportunity. And then just because I'd been so honest and so transparent and so kind of, this is what we would do. These are the mistakes we've made. Then they renewed the contract because actually working with people who are genuinely transparent is often more of a benefit than layers of complexity or experience. Mm, so like you didn't have all of the kind of tick boxes on paper, but you had the character. Yes. And that's the one bit you can't learn or... And the enthusiasm. Mm, that's really interesting. Mm. And has that been a common theme since, that feeling of kind of not being ready, but being willing to put your hand up? Yes. One of the things that I'm learning, I think, is preparation can sometimes take us out of flow state. And so conversations like this, for example, we were talking about we haven't prepared. Had we prepared, maybe this conversation wouldn't be as good or as enriching. And I think sometimes we're so used to focusing on our processes or our data or our methodology or, or whatever it is, whatever line of work it is, that sometimes we forget to connect and we forget to really listen and we forget to really showcase who we are as individuals because we get lost in the stuff. Yes. And sometimes when we ease up just a little bit on preparation, we can actually get a little bit closer to our own humanity. <laughs> and I really think our own humanity is where the success lies, I think. And speaking of preparation, I mean, you're someone that delivers tons of workshops. Mm. You do a lot of speaking. You come on a lot of podcasts. Like, I know it will be a different kind of formula for everyone. But how do you find that middle ground between obviously preparing enough that you go into it with intention? Mm. But like you said, not so much that then the humanity and the spirit and the connection and the ability to be a bit spontaneous and flexible gets yeah. lost. So I think there's a opportunity that I think we often miss in like professional environments. And that is, have you ever been to see the same stand-up do comedy twice? Yes. Was it exactly the same? No. Okay, different tour. Right. So anyone listening, if you've ever if there's if you ever go and watch a stand-up in a particular show, never go and watch that show again because it will be exactly the same. Like word for word, exactly the same. And when I first started doing stand-up, that kind of surprised me because a great stand-up makes it look off the cuff. Even the heckles are like memorized. A lot of the things I've said on this podcast is memorized. And and so you're nodding being like, like I've just come up with it. <laughs> like I absolutely have not. Like So I believe the way we manage to get to a point of conveying what we want to convey, but also being able to be human is through memorizing as much stuff as possible. And so we tend to do this naturally. And so most of the things that I present now, I never prepare in the sense that I know what I'm going to talk about before I do the thing. Even if I'm on a stage or delivering training, I rarely know what it is I'm going to say, but I've memorized lots of stuff. So what that allows me to do is like read in the room, read the cues that people are giving me, ask people questions and lean into what my audience needs, which is always the most important thing to me. If I prepare in advance of meeting my audience, I'm not listening to them. 
But if I go in with an open mind and go, I know my stuff, I've got enough material. And if I go in and I ask them or I listen to them verbally or non-verbally, like I think one of my skills, you probably have this too, is put me in a room and I can read it. Like mm. my therapist calls it hypervigilance. <laughs> <laughs> like, and so I guess the answer to that is memorize as much of your stuff as possible. And when I say memorize, memorize difficult conversations, memorize how you share your prices, memorize how you introduce yourself, memorize your bio, memorize your framework, whatever the thing is that you do that you convey a lot, get it down so that it's verbally memorized. And a nice way to do that is when you can do it in the shower. And when things are verbally memorized, then what that allows you to do is use our incredible, beautiful human brains to actually connect and to be empathetic and to understand what people need. And I think that's where there's a real gift and where we can really start connecting. And so I guess for me, that's the answer. Think about the things you share the most of, the conversations you most commonly have, or the things that freak you out the most, memorize it. And it's just like now you doing future you a favor. And it's not that you're going to like verbally play off a script, but it does give you a bit more wiggle room to have meaningful conversations when you know you've got the important stuff already in your back pocket. Yes. Yeah. And I can totally see even in kind of my experience how that's played out where I have total privilege where I spend, you know, four hours a day on client calls, which is a constant, almost building that muscle of talking about all these different topics. And now I notice when I'm preparing workshops, all I'll have in front of me is like four bullet points yes. because I know that in the moment and I don't get scared about Q&A or scared about random questions that I've not expected. We were laughing about this in the lift up here that neither of us like it when podcast guests send you questions in advance. Because, yeah, I'm not reading them. No, and I'm not going to read them because I don't need to prep in advance because as long as you've picked questions that are in my zone of genius mm. I know those scripts well enough that you're just going to be able to kind of pick that expertise out yeah but yeah that's such an interesting way of looking at it of like don't yeah don't script it but almost know all of your individual little scripts yeah that then in the moment and that's the fun bit isn't it yes. you read the room and you get to piece it all together in a way that is going to work for them yeah I mean I did some training literally this morning and it was just 90 minutes and I went on with a loose idea in my head of what I was going to cover didn't do any of that none of it did something totally different and again that allows us to give people what they need and I believe when you're when you have a service-based business which I think probably a lot of the people listening to this do you need to really listen to whoever it is you're talking to like really listen and as long as we're trying to project our agenda onto people our pre-defined agenda we're not really listening and I actually think if you just really stop and listen to people and even if you're presenting to 10,000 people you're listening to every single one of them then I think that's actually when we really start to really connect with people what would be some of the kind of common mistakes that you notice people mm. making when presenting? Something I notice a lot within myself is that desire to constantly cram everything in and over deliver and change people's mm. lives within the space of a 45 minute workshop. Yes. I'm guessing based off of what you've said, that's something that's not always most valuable on the other side. I have a little three kind of tiers and this is something that I like invented, right? But it, I've observed it in loads of people. We tend to have three levels that we speak on. Now, this is the same whether we're talking to one person, 10 people, 10,000 people. We start by speaking to impress. So that's when we're going, I hope this person thinks I sound smart. I hope they think I'm good enough. I'm an expert. And this it tends to be earlier in our careers or maybe when we're starting something new and it's really valid and it's okay. So we start by speaking to impress those we're talking to that's fine when we get a bit more experience we move into speak to inform 
And that's where we go, I am going to tell you of some stuff. Here are some things I know and I'm going to tell you about it. Great. And then if we're lucky, we can get to speak to Inspire. I don't exist in this conversation. Like I'm removed entirely from this picture. And all I ever do whenever I speak is I ask myself the question, how do I want someone to feel after I've spoken to them? And it's not about me. It really, and it takes time to get there. It's an expression of confidence, I guess. But I think if I was to give anyone any advice, and it's really simple and quite easy to do, is often when we're speaking to people, we want them to take an action or we want them to think something. In order for somebody to think or feel something, we have to feel that, like we have to. Like if you want somebody to think you're an expert, you've got to think you're an expert. Or if you want someone to feel inspired, you have to feel inspired. And so for me, it's just about infusing your presentation, your communication, your Instagram caption, whatever it is, infusing it with the emotion that you want the other person to feel. And if when we share from a place of feeling that emotion, then other people pick up on it. And I will openly cry on stage or I will openly like laugh because I know that if I'm getting moved by the things that I'm sharing, then other people will. If I'm not, they won't. And so I think that would be my one piece of advice for whatever way you're trying to connect with people. Think about how you want them to feel. Ask yourself, do I feel that? And if the answer is no, go, okay, how can I help myself feel that? And if we feel something in ourselves, it will shift the way we communicate, but also we make it really about the other person. And it's only ever about the other person. It's never about us. The idea of speaking to inspire, not inform, I think just completely hits the mm. nail on the head. And I think if a lot of us are really honest with ourselves, and I like that you said, you know, it's an okay starting point. It is often that that desire to be liked, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Or not inspired. What did you say? Inspired and impress. Yeah, impress, inform, inspire. Yes. I meant impress as that first step of feeling like, oh gosh, I want people to like me. I want them to think I'm good. I want them to think I've got loads of expertise. Whereas you're right. Well, what actually matters is, well, how do they leave feeling? Just a question. Mm. Because I know I'm probably, I feel like I'm almost somewhere near that middle point of I always want to inform I always want people to leave with loads of knowledge and expertise and able to take action if you're preparing something that's still very practical Mm -hmm. how do you balance that of yes I want to leave them with an end you know skill set or an end thing that they're able to do but yet that feeling is still an important part of it one little thing so you mentioned thinking you know when you speak to inspire it's about thinking about how you want to leave them so I'm just going to add a caveat Even if I'm speaking to an audience of 15,000, I'll have one person in my mind. One, and I've got like an archetype. For me, it tends to be someone early mid-career, often a woman is doing a great job but isn't convinced of it. So think of that one person and do it for them. Not the whole audience too much, one person. And create everything you can from that person who really does need to hear that message. So I guess that's the first thing. And then when you said, if you're trying to share something really practical, how can you still create that feeling? I guess my response would be, why are practical things not emotionally resonant? We've got this distinction that things are like practical and informative and so therefore they can't be whereas actually like we are as humans we are emotional beings research has shown we use we don't make decisions based on information we make decisions based on emotion often what we will use is we will use data to validate the emotional decision that we've already made and so even if you've got a framework or a tool or something very um yeah, we'll use your word, very practical. How do you want that framework or that tool or that practical thing? How do you want them to make 
how do you want that to make them feel? Yeah. And it might be informed, it might be safe, it might be secure. And so I would bring this into everything and it's a quick little question. And I guarantee, I'd love you to try it by the way, because I guarantee next time you run a workshop, yeah. if you go, okay, this one person, think of that one person, how do you want them to feel? Oh, I want her to feel like she's got the tools and I want her to feel equipped mm -hmm. and I want her to feel safe. That just will inform how you convey things. Yeah. And it might be subtle, but I think this this subtlety is where we go from being a decent speaker to being like, there is something about that person that really resonates with me. It's all in this nuance. Yeah, that's so interesting. And actually, I feel like a bit of a teacher's pet because I start all of my workshop prep with a list of how do I want them to leave feeling. Nice. And it's always, but you're right, the, it's how the feelings and the tools and the practical stuff can interact if that feels relevant for what you're sharing. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. And definitely one like that phrase in my head of like, inspire, don't impress. Just as we were talking about earlier, I can really go, and it sounds like we're both on the same page, and go into that kind of perform mode. Mm. That's, yeah, I think a really good reminder for people of remembering what it's really about. Like yeah. at the end of the day, it's not about you. Yes. You're there to bring something to yeah. other people. So what is that? And it took a long time, I think. But I think at this point, people will always say to me, Alice, they will always go, I just need to care less about what people think. And my response to that is always, good luck. Good luck with that. Like, it's not about caring less about what people think. It's about deeply caring about what people think and assuming it'll be positive. That's what I think it is. Like, I really care if my work is connecting with people. Like, what, what a shitty facilitator or speaker I'd be if I didn't. Like, really caring, but just assuming that most people are open, kind, empathetic, wanting to learn. And so care what people think, but do it from the assumption that most people have got your back. Most people want you to win. And most people are going to listen earnestly with an open heart and take away what serves them. Mm. Yeah, and trust that they're, like you said, they're able to take from it what's going to feel relevant to them. And it's yeah. always that, for me, so many of these conversations, in, in my head at least, come back to that feeling of that we think we're at the centre of everyone else's yeah. universes. Mm. And you analyse everything you're doing to such a, an nth degree because you think, oh gosh, I, I bet Kirsty's laying awake right now thinking about that weird question I asked on the <laughs> podcast or that weird way that I looked at her. And it's like, nobody cares about you as much as you think they do. And that's actually the most free thing mm. you can realize and like yeah. you said even if they are caring about you it's 98 percent in a positive sense but yeah. we have such a negative bias don't we we're assuming yes. the worst about ourselves when we would never do that yeah to other people for anyone listening to this how many times have you thought about food so much in this podcast like we, we go away and we fade in and out of listening and even whilst I've been here talking to you my brain at some point and I'm really trained to not do this but maybe two or three times my brain went I'm a bit thirsty <laughs> just kind of like goes away and so we're not being scrutinized anywhere near as much as we think we are and all we can do I believe is I have no control at all how other people perceive me but I very much have control over the intentionality and the energy that I put into the world. Yes. And if I place my focus on making sure that I'm as much as I can trying to share information that feels um, valuable to me, then that's all I can do. Mm, actually reminds me, I've got a little ring on my finger. Mm. You won't be able to read it from there unless you've got incredible <laughs> high sight. You don't know me. <laughs> 2020 vision. <laughs> um, and it says on it for one, 
And it's like my phrase I always say to myself, and it, it kind of means both like everything I do is just to help one person. If it helps one, it's worth mm. it. But also when I'm in any kind of conversation with someone, I just want them to leave with one thing that's valuable mm. to them. Like it's that pressure of like not feeling like you need to completely change someone's life or change their world. But actually yeah. if you just leave them feeling a little bit brighter or yes. with one tool or, or thought that might help them, like that's enough. Yeah. And actually lowering the bar, like I've never felt so great until I looked at my thumb every day and saw that <laughs> phrase like, Phew. Whenever I'm, I'm speaking, I'll always say, like, you will forget 90% of what I'm about to tell you. And whenever I say that, people just relax. Because we don't, I don't know anyway, but I feel as though we don't change based on what we know. We change based on how we feel. So we don't need to, like, learn loads of stuff from something. Like you said, just one little thing or... I guess I try and move through the world just like hoping that at some point I make someone feel something. Yes. That's, I guess that's where my work is. I love that. That's an amazing measure of success as well. Because that's yeah. really what matters is that phrase in that you don't remember what people said. You always remember how they made you feel. Mm. And if you were to get me to list like all of my favourite talks and podcasts I've ever listened to couldn't really tell you what they said I <laughs> yeah. just know yeah I left that feeling really inspired encouraged you know yeah, whatever that yeah. feeling was that's the bit that sticks with you and actually when you think about it that's such a more valuable tool yes. you know inspiring someone well they can then be inspired to go and do whatever it is that they want to do yeah whereas if you're just trying to inform all they can leave with is that information which has a limit yeah even if they've remembered it and I've just thought this, but I wonder whether this is also a much more inclusive approach because we all have feelings. Mm. We all have, I don't, I don't know the people who are listening, but I know everyone that's listening has experienced pain, joy, heartbreak, rejection, abandonment. And when we connect to this and we educate, teach, whatever it is from that place, I don't know. My nan always used to say that our lessons are not ours to keep, our lessons are ours to teach. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Reminds I, me of what we were saying earlier of like, as long as it's a good story. <laughs> I always think when I go through a big challenge, I'm like, this is a great lesson to share one day. This could be amazing anecdote. content. <laughs> yeah. This massive painful failure. It's going to be some good content. <laughs> it's so toxic, but actually, do you know what? I'm not going to stop it because... Uh, it's a coping mechanism. <laughs> and if it and works, we love it a works. coping mechanism. <laughs> we love to see it. We love to see it. <laughs> Such a tangent. Um, I would love to end with, I call them quick fire questions. Oh yeah, nice. They're never that quick fire. Um, but we'll try our best. We'll probably go off Do on a tangent again. Do you want me to try again. and be quick? No, no, just okay. give whatever answer feels true. For Pick out one of your, your scripts that you've learned before. <laughs> Who knows? It's giving me a whole new view on the conversation now. I'm like, whoa, well, try and ask you something that you don't have a script for. Can you share with people a routine or a something or a habit for when you're feeling the nerves pre-doing something mm. and you need that little boost of confidence? before yes. you head into it, whether it be a scary meeting, a pitch, a workshop you're hosting, talking on stage, what can you do that helps you mm. to kind of step into that with your confidence? So I call this um, the well, yeah method. And I was having a wee, that's twice <laughs> having a wee has come up in this podcast episode. Get a new personality so. trait, Gusty. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally, I was about to do a really, really, really big talk. And I was feeling that very familiar swell of so nervous, so nervous, so nervous. And then I heard my brain go, now this was recently, at this point I've been teaching confidence, learning about confidence for years. And then I heard my brain go, well, yeah. 
And I was like, oh, well, yeah. I'm nervous about speaking to loads of people. Well, yeah. You're nervous about sharing your idea in front of your boss. Well, yeah. You're nervous about starting that business. Well, yeah. You're nervous about asking for a pay rise. Well, yeah. And I think the first and most important thing is to meet our nerves with a big, well, yeah. Well, yes, we're nervous. And I think if we start from that place, that can really help, like actually. And it's never, ever, ever about trying to not be nervous. It's about trying to be like, yeah, I'm really nervous. Wow, I'm nervous. Mm. And if we do that, one of the things that I find is we get really nervous when we resist the nerves, when we panic about the nerves. So my not that quick fire answer is, well, yeah. I love that. And actually, it's just jumped into my mind. I was hosting my first in-person workshop since COVID sometime at the end, towards the end of last year. And because I hadn't done it for two years, I was like, I am bricking it. Like, I am so, <laughs> barely slept, I was so nervous. Oh. And I remember YouTubing your name and being like, Kirsty, you have something. <laughs> and I think I just put you on in the background. I can't even remember what it was. But again, I don't remember what you said, but I remember how it made me feel. Mm. It was just listening to something you were talking about around that idea of, well, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. That is better now. so nice to me. The idea of you being nervous and going, Kirsty, I'll have something. <laughs> I love that. That makes me so happy. Yeah, I was like, who do I need to call? <laughs> Ghost. Kirsty Kirsty. <laughs> She's my woman. <laughs> Next question for you. When someone is delivering a talk, whatever kind of talk it might be, one practical tip mm. to help them present in a way that is, as you say, inspiring. We can all, this is just so true, I think. All of us can just take a big ass deep breath. Mm. We forget, we go, we rush, we go da 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 So during a talk, just remember to just keep taking really big, deep breaths and allow ourselves to sit in a bit of silence. And again, confidence isn't always what you say. It's sometimes also in what you don't say. So I think during a presentation, just please remember to take a really big, deep breath and to slow down and to create a bit of space because in that space, we're more likely to be able to listen Mm -hmm. again. So I think to answer your question, big deep breath and allow just a little bit more silence than you feel comfortable with. Just a pinch more silence than you want to. And actually that's often where a lot of the the good stuff comes. Yes, and whenever you're listening to someone else, that kind of spaced approach, that's the worst way to phrase that, you know what I mean, you know, and they're not like rushing with their words and talking like this and there's no space, like it just feels so much nicer to consume because you as the listener get space Mm -hmm. as well. And I can imagine, correct me if this, I'm just trying to make some like wild, psychological assumption here Love classic my life is based on wild (laughs) psychological assumptions underqualified over promoted (laughs) that's me my assumption would be if you know if you're not taking breaths if you're speaking quickly if you're kind of rushing things surely that's kind of just telling your body and bringing it even more into Mm -hmm. a state of kind of fear and panic because it's getting you to I don't have the right words for it but you know what I mean Mm. people aren't seeing the video right now but it's you being like (gasps) yeah Yeah. exactly that and I also think someone asked me a really nice question the other day they were like can you give me a in case of emergency break glass thing to do in a presentation if I'm ever like really freaking out what's my go-to and I just thought that that phrasing of it was so nice I've been using it since it's just saying that you're freaking out externalizing it we're allowed to go the amount of times I've said during presentations something like I'm sorry this is really important to me so I really want to get it right I'm a bit nervous can I have a minute 99% of us will be, of course, of course you can. The 1% that get annoyed, I mean, that's on them. 
final question I'd love to ask. You spoke right at the start of this episode about how confidence is people just being a little bit more them mm. and how because of that, obviously confidence can look so many different ways and we can almost have our own style of confidence. Mm -hmm. If someone is listening to this and they are like totally at what feels to them maybe the start of their journey with stepping mm. into their confidence, how can you kind of begin to explore and mm. find what your what your style of confidence is. Ask yourself the question, who am I? How do I feel? How do I act? How, 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 how do I behave when I'm really confident? The answer will be there. It always is. And it's about taking a little bit of time to explore it. And it might even be that you might have to think about in the past, maybe when you nailed that job interview or when you wear that dress or whatever, when you feel really confident, how does that feel for you? How does that manifest? And just taking some time to reflect on it, we create a, a blueprint, a mental blueprint. And there is a version of me and she stands in a, way, a certain way, talks in a certain way. And I've become to know her really, really well, that version of me that is that confident expression of me. It's not me all the time, that would be fucking exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess the answer to that question is, ask yourself, who am I when I feel most confident? Mm. And there'll be an answer there, but it might take a bit of reflection. Yes, but I guess that's so helpful because it stops you from just saying, or like you said, people say I'm not a confident person. Mm. But if you say, well, can you think of an example where you felt confidence? Mm -hmm. Immediately you can. And I guess that helps you see, oh, I'm not at the very start of the journey. Yes. Actually, this is something I can, I've already got it in me. Let's yeah. just turn the volume up on it. We've literally all been expressing confidence since we were like born. Mm. None of us are at the beginning of our journey. We've all been doing it, whether that was raising your hand in class to answer a question or taking that piano exam or whatever it is our whole lives we've been doing things that have helped us work out what our version of confidence is and it's just often reconnecting with that because we forget thank you for this I know thank there'll you. be so many people listening I mean this podcast is primarily listened to business owners and my mum my mum has loved it what's her name Katrina hi Katrina oh she's a lovely woman <laughs> hero um but obviously so many business owners listening that I think you know confidence is such a key part of running a business in so many areas of it mm. and something that I think is required a lot from business owners so yeah yeah I'm just excited to see what people take of it and also on a personal level without sounding like I'm doing like an Oscar speech for you or something <laughs> um you are just such an example to me and this is an encouragement to anyone who's listening that doesn't really follow you online to follow you online I mean this actually it's, it might come out as an insult but it's really a positive thing you are a constant reminder to me to just show up as you are and just be yourself mm. and not overthink it and just be a little bit more playful and as you say with confidence a bit more you in yes. the way you show up and I just want to thank you for doing that and like I said encourage anyone that's listening to go and follow you because when it comes to your Instagram I don't know am I about to get a tip am I about to get a story about <laughs> I don't know what there's always there's always something <laughs> like to keep people on their toes uh, thank you so much Alice that's really kind and, and thank you for everything that you do and thank you for having me not at all so many thank yous thank I you, thank you. Thank you. we thank started you talking about sheaths and here we are by the end <laughs> Such, I, oh, my mum heard that I think that's the best beginning to a podcast ever <laughs> the old sheath debate <laughs> it's a hot topic Kirsten. Hot, hot. I'm going to bring it in as the next quick fire question with the next guest <laughs> to sheath or not to sheath how much would you pay for a sheath <laughs>
So there we have it. That was my conversation with the brilliant Kirsty. I really hope you enjoyed listening in on that. And I have to apologize for taking a total nosedive at the end and bringing back up the topic of sheaths. Uh, don't quite know why I felt the need to do that. And if you are my mum listening, mum, I'm sorry, please do not bring this up at the kitchen table. Thank you very much. Now, if you aren't my mum, I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. As the title of this podcast suggests, this is only the start of the conversation. So I'd love for you to continue it over on Instagram or LinkedIn, wherever your favorite place is online. And let me know what you thought. What would you have added to our discussion? How has this episode left you feeling? What are you now thinking? I want to hear it all. You can find my links by looking in the show notes or just by searching Alice Benham on those platforms. And also in the show notes, you'll be able to find the links to where you can connect with Kirsty online. I promise you she will bring so much wisdom, so much humor and just good energy and great stories to your timeline and your news feed. So make sure to stay connected with Kirsty so that you can keep receiving all of the brilliance that you heard within this episode and make sure to subscribe as well because I'll be back in your ears next week with another solo episode. I uh, can't quite remember off the top of my head what next week's episode is, but I'm sure it's going to be fantastic and life-changing. So make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out. And until then, I hope you have a fantastic week. And remember, I'm always cheering you on. Hey, it's Alice. Before you go and action what you've learned in today's episode, I want to share a quick note about this week's partner. One of the biggest mistakes I see people making when it comes to marketing is not analyzing the statistics. The numbers, whether it be podcast downloads, website traffic, or likes on a post, are all telling you something about what is and isn't working in your strategy. It's invaluable data, but so often we don't listen to it. And I get it. I can easily forget to or feel too overwhelmed to look at my numbers, which is why I've made a monthly habit of sitting down to review my content. It's already made me better at showing up for my goals and I found a great tool for it which makes this an easy task, Metrical. By bringing all your platforms into one place, Metrical makes it easy to analyze, manage and improve your content. My favorite is their analytics tool because you don't have to go searching for the numbers. They're all in front of you to look at and most importantly, learn from. They also have a content planner, inbox manager and hashtag tracker. So Metrical really can be a one-stop shop for all your marketing needs. I only partner with brands who I genuinely believe can bring value to our lives as business owners and this one is no different. So to start managing your marketing with intention, head to the link in the show notes and start using Metrical for free today. 